quite honestly, the most important German interest in foreign policy all the time is to keep peace, to keep calm. So this is why I also think partly it's a communication issue where I kind of feel that you could have a rather strong and coherent German foreign policy um, even without arms exports and kind of, you know, say, okay, we're not going to do this, but we're doing all of these other things and, and therefore are definitely standing behind uh, U- Ukraine. Hey, welcome back to the Modern War Institute podcast. I'm John Amble, editorial director at MWI. And in this episode, you'll hear a fascinating conversation I had the chance to have with Dr. Ulrike Franken. She is a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations and undoubtedly one of the most insightful analysts on European security, NATO, and German defense, all topics that feature in this discussion. In recent weeks, there has been quite a lot of questioning in public debate in the United States especially about Germany, and frankly, how reliable Germany is as an ally. The reason this is all being raised now is because of the Ukraine crisis. On a few very high-profile issues, Germany, according to this line of questioning, seems to be hesitant to cooperate fully with NATO partners in supporting Ukraine against what looks to be the threat of Russian aggression. But there are layers upon layers of context that really needs to be understood. And the reality is a lot more complicated than simply saying Germany is or is not a reliable ally. We get into that context in a really interesting conversation that you're about to hear. Before we get to it, just a couple quick notes. First, if you're not subscribed to the MWI podcast, please do so. You can find it on your favorite podcast app. And second, as always, what you hear in this episode are the views of the participants and don't represent those of West Point, the Army, or any other agency of the U.S. government. All right, here's my conversation with Dr. Ulrika Franke. Rika, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Modern War Institute podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I reached out to you after I read a really interesting piece that you wrote uh, in the Washington Post. It was published, I believe, on January 31st. Uh, And it was about Germany, specifically what's going on in Ukraine and Germany's relationship with the things, the developments in in and around Ukraine and NATO. There was a a ton to unpack there. It was amazing how much you fit into this piece of, you know, it couldn't have been more than a couple thousand words. Uh, I found it really interesting. I thought our listeners would really appreciate this perspective. And I also think it offers a really good sort of foundation uh, on which to to kind of make a broader examination of, of cohesion and solidarity across the NATO alliance uh, and what have you. So to begin, can I can I ask you to sort of, um, I guess maybe the, the best kind of jumping off point is to ask you what prompted you to write this piece? Yeah. So I think the main reason why I felt this was needed um, was that I saw such you know bad headlines on on Germany um, over the last few weeks. So you know I think it was the Wall Street Journal that had a thing about um, is Germany still a reliable ally? No. Um, the New York Times had a run ran a similar title, and so I was really quite dismayed. You know, seeing these comments about Germany not being a reliable ally, and and yeah, especially the U.S. Press, um, but also other allies, and and by the way, not just the press, but also um, the Ukrainian ambassador was really quite outspoken. The Latvian uh, defense minister, so a lot of people being extremely critical of the German foreign policy in this Russia-Ukraine NATO um, conflict, and specifically, I think the main 
point of criticism was Germany's decision not to export weapons to Ukraine. Um, and I thought what was needed in this debate was a kind of piece that tried to explain where German foreign policy thinking and where this foreign policy decision came from. And um, it's not so much that I necessarily wanted to justify um, what Germany has been doing. I've been quite critical of how the government has approached this. Um, partly, honestly, this is a communication issue, but you know, a lot of also decisions weren't, weren't that great. But I just wanted to explain to those that were so dismayed by German actions where this was coming from. And I also wanted to counter a few what I consider misconceptions about German foreign policy, namely, you know, this this idea that it's quite a, a cynical foreign policy where basically, you know, the, the German political realm is in the pockets of Russia or they're just so dependent on gas and therefore they don't want to step up to Putin, you know, things like that that I consider largely incorrect. And so, yeah, it's it, it turned a little bit into this um, explainer piece about German foreign policy, um, almost more broadly, and then specifically on the arms control or sorry, arms export issue. When, um, you know, shortly after, uh, I think the first time I saw headlines about Germany sending, you know, 5,000 or 6,000 helmets to Ukraine, you started seeing all of the memes on Twitter, you know, yeah. sort of mocking that as a, as a, you know, an empty gesture that sort of papers over the fact that Germany isn't willing to provide them with uh, provide Ukraine with with lethal aid, um, and that's really why I wanted to why I wanted to have you on the podcast is to kind of offer a little bit more of that kind of historical context, that background. So, what is you know, I get I guess the most logical question, or maybe the most straightforward question, are is what does the German government and and the German people see as their interests in Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so just one point on the mocking, because I thought that, that was really um, important. Yes, yeah, so Germany has, for example, as you mentioned, decided to send 5,000 helmets to Ukraine. Um, the Ukrainians ask for helmets. I mean, admittedly, mm-hmm. they ask, I think, for 100,000. So 5,000 isn't a lot, but it is, you know, a contribution. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that the reaction indeed, you know, on Twitter and in the commentariat, and even, you know, by people such as um, Klitschko, the... the um, uh, mayor of Kiev, were really, you know, how embarrassing, how ridiculous, etc., which I thought was quite striking. But it, 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 this happened because you know there was already this mindset of Germany not, not doing enough. And there was another story that I also found really striking, which was when um, it was uh, made public that Britain was delivering weapons to. Ukraine and that they were flying these weapons not over Germany, which would be the most direct route, but um, were flying kind of over the North Sea and then over Denmark. And immediately, like everyone jumped on this, including quite, you know, serious media outlets and wrote, you know, Germany has banned the UK from from flying over its territory because they're delivering weapons to Ukraine. And, you know, like two days later, we found out and we got the, we got the confirmation that, no, the Brits just never asked. And for whatever reason, we don't need to get into this. But I thought it was so striking that, you know, allies clearly expected the worst from Germany in this context. And so, so yeah, again, that kind of explains a little bit my, my motivation. But yeah, so what are the German interests in, in the current conflict? I mean... Quite honestly, the most important German interest in foreign policy all the time is to keep peace, to keep calm, and to, I almost want to say, not having to do so much. Um, there's definitely still this 
this feeling that, you know, Germans are quite uncomfortable in, in having a real leadership position in, in Europe and certainly the world. Um, you know, during the Donald Trump times, while, while Merkel was still in office, there was all this talk about, you know, Merkel now being the leader of the free world. And although, I mean, it kind of sounded nice and a lot of people thought like, oh, okay, this is, this is nice. Um, this isn't actually a role that, um, that most Germans uh, want to take. And so, yeah, with, with regard to Russia, the, um, the hope really is to, to keep peace, which I think everyone wants, um, admittedly, um, and to keep calm and to maybe play a role of a mediating power, not, not go out too aggressively. I think Germans and the German foreign policy realms always worried about doing things that are appearing too aggressive or are, or are escalatory. And by the way, this is how the arms exports are being framed, right? There, you, there's basically this idea of, you know, if we deliver arms, that would be escalatory, which I think is incorrect because I think it's more about deterrence, which in the end is supposed to be de-escalatory. But um, uh, yeah, so so I think it's very much focused on, you know, keeping, keeping calm, keeping the status quo, keeping communications and, and dialogue going, um, which all, you know, I agree with all of those, but the question is how do you achieve this and, and what kind of means you use for achieving that? And I think um, here our, our toolbox is a little bit limited. If that is, if sort of maintaining peace is, is the core uh, of German interests vis-a-vis uh, -vis the current Ukraine-Russia conflict or crisis and, uh, and elsewhere, you know, I guess, kind of necking down in that how 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 is how does german strategic thought define peace is it a is it a temporary state of you know no weapons being fired and things of this nature or is it stability because arguably you could have uh, a situation that is currently peaceful or relatively peaceful but has this sort of inherent instability um because you know one side or the other feels aggrieved and and you know is it is does germany want to keep an invasion from occurring or do they want to keep something that is, you know, a more sustainable piece? That's a very good question. Um, and I think in a way, the problem almost is that in, at least in this conflict, the definition of peace really is the absence of war and the absence of military conflict. And it isn't necessarily trying to create something more stable. So it, uh, yeah, yeah. I think this is, this is an, an, an interesting point because, um, Germans have very, I mean, you know, I'm obviously always generalizing when I say Germans, but, you know, kind of speaking broadly, I think Germans have very much internalized that war, obviously, um, and, and, but, but the military as such and armed forces are kind of evil. Like this is that, this is something that's, that's bad. And you never want to have a situation where they play an important role and you never want to have military conflicts. You know, again, no one wants military conflicts, but I think with, with, with Germany, it, it goes beyond that. And so I think there is definitely um, this, um, this wish or this hope or this effort to avoid military confrontation. Yeah. At, at, at any price, even, even, and I think this is the problem right now, even if this may cost you on other, in other areas. And this is, and I think this is, this is what we're currently seeing. What, what is so tricky that you kind of wonder, like, how far would Germany go? Like, what would Germany be willing to give up, um, in order to ensure this absence of war and, 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 and ensure that there won't be a military uh, confrontation? 
Can you expand on that, you know, idea of kind of public sentiment in, in Germany is is generally anti-war. And again, as you caveated, you know, anybody sane and rational is in some form anti-war. Um, but that means something different in Germany. You know, even casual observers are probably aware that that has, you know, that's in part a legacy of World War II and the immediate post-war years. But how much is that an oversimplification, you know, because there was this period during the Cold War where West Germany was, you know, a key cog in military planning, operational planning and strategy uh, in terms of, you know, designing the campaign plan for the defense of Europe against, you know, a, a potential Soviet invasion. Or is that inaccurate? You know, has this has this sort of always been there and always something that is in a way sort of constrained German uh, and, you know, prior to that West German, um, kind of strategic thinking and, and, and room to maneuver operationally. Hmm. I would say that the German kind of public opinion, and of course, you know, that then also influences the political realm is still, or is quite pacifist in thinking or at least, um, as I as I was saying, there is definitely a a current of thought that considers military power to be bad in and of itself. And military power and armed forces are seen primarily, if not exclusively, as a means for kind of invasion and war, and therefore are rejected um, as a as a general rule. And I think we've kind of forgotten or the you know the the german public has kind of forgotten that there are other reasons why um uh, a country including you know a liberal democracy wants military power and that has to do with deterrence on the one hand that has to do with the fact that geopolitical power is also bolstered by by military power but we tend to forget this um, which is why you know it's 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 it happens quite often that if in Germany you argue for defense spending increases and Germany isn't meeting the current NATO target of 2% of GDP for defense spending, right? We're somewhere between 1.3 and 1.5% of GDP, depending on how you count. But if you argue in favor of an increase in defense spending, you get called a warmonger really easily and really frequently because people basically say like what do you want the military for if you want to increase your military power you clearly must be you know advocating for war and wanting to invade someone and it's actually really hard to make the argument like no no this is not this is not how how this works so there's definitely this kind of um anti-military mindset that is that is very uh prevalent and you you know you have polls that, that backed this up rather rather nicely. So I know one off the top of my head where kind of over 60% of Germans say that even in an international crisis, economic power is more important than military power, which I thought was quite striking. So it has definitely this idea that, you know, it's all about economic power and trade and all of this and not military power. And there was another poll, um, and I don't have to quite the, the, the exact numbers um, off the top of my head, but basically the poll asked, you know, is there ever a situation where war can be justified um, or maybe necessary in order to restore or create justice? And there was a surprising majority of Germans that said no. I mean, even like really caveating, you know, under certain circumstances in order to create justice, all of this. And, and a lot of Germans said no, like war is never, ever 
um, military operations are never ever uh, necessary or justified, which I think is is quite striking. So I think this is this is the mindset um, that that we have, and I do believe that it it stems primarily from history. And by the way, Annalena Baerbock, who's our new uh, foreign minister, she's from the Greens. And she actually justified the German decision not to deliver weapons to Ukraine uh, by saying this this has its roots in German history. And, you know, to outsiders, that this may sound weird because you're kind of wondering, like, okay, what part of German history? German history has been quite... Um, Quite a lot of things that have happened in the last two centuries um, or in the last century primarily in, in German history. But she very much refers to this idea of of saying, you know, we've learned the lesson from history, from World War II, from the Cold War, that that military power is never an answer, that 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 war is always evil and that military power is always evil. And therefore, you know, we don't we don't want to touch um, uh, weapons and kind of uh, work with that. Um, I think well, just one final point on that. I think you 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 made a good observation on regarding the kind of the time the time of the Cold War, if you like, right? Because okay, you can come out of World War II and be quite pacifist because obviously that was absolutely terrible, but you could um, take a very different view of military power during the Cold War and of the Terrans and all of that during the Cold War, um, and most Germans kind of didn't. And I think the reason for that is that although Germany was an important um, player, or almost, I almost want to say the, the field of play um, uh, during the Cold War. Uh, we were also and still are very much protected by, uh, well, the US in particular, and, and the US and, and the NATO's um, uh, security umbrella and nuclear umbrella. And so we could quite nicely. Um, during the Cold War, and especially after the Cold War, developed this ideology that basically discounts military power completely, that says economic power is most important, trade relationships are most important, we are pursuing a more enlightened foreign policy, we've moved on from this idea of um, great power uh, competition, etc. This is so last century. It's easier to do this if there's someone behind you um, holding a security umbrella over you so that you don't have to kind of think about these things. And I think this was this was the case. Um, and, you know, to some extent still is the case with with NATO and, and the U.S. Do, I guess, Germans, you know, broadly speaking, the German public, but also German political leaders, presumably they see value in being a member of NATO. There isn't a, you know, a, yeah. a huge public movement to withdrawing Germany from, from NATO. Given that, you know, you said that peace is a core interest. Uh, maintaining peace is a core interest of the German state. Would the crisis between Russia and Ukraine, would maybe German public opinion and and kind of strategic thinking about this crisis differ if Ukraine was a member? Would it differ if this was a Poland-Russia crisis? Huh. I mean, I think the, the, the broad answer is, is yes, or at least I would very much hope so, because, of course, that would be a very different situation um, uh, in terms of, of mutual defense. So you write that, so definitely the German political realm is very supportive of NATO. I think this is very clear. And even, you know, we have a new-ish government at the moment with a three-party coalition, more kind of left-leaning than, than we had before, less transatlantic, I would say. I mean, not like massively so, but still. And and um, I, I was positively surprised by this government's, um, at least, you know, kind of rhetorical support for NATO 
in its coalition treaty. And I think you can really see that that the people that work on these issues like security and defense, etc., they really understand the importance of, of NATO and and understand that, yeah, this is this is absolutely um, crucial. Public opinion um, is also largely positive. However, I would say that most most kind of normal Germans on the street barely know what NATO really does. I'm not really sure they know about, you know, the kind of nuclear umbrella, nuclear sharing. Um, yeah, it is. It is not something that is that is being um, discussed uh, this discussed a lot in in Germany. Would the situation be different if if Ukraine was a member of NATO? I mean, yes, at the political level, definitely, because then you know it may be an Article Five, a mutual defense um, uh, situation, which I believe a German government would definitely honor, even though, in brackets, as is, is the case in several NATO countries, public opinion isn't so clear on always defending NATO allies under an Article 5 clause. But I think it, it depends kind of on the context. And I think, you know, politically speaking, they uh, they they still, still would. So I think this would be different. Um, but... Maybe it's worth also just just kind of briefly mention this. So we've been talking quite generally about a kind of German mindset, which I think is really important here. But there's also a specific German relationship and history with regard to Russia, which mm -hmm. makes all of this so much more difficult. So if it was, as you just kind of hypothesized, hypothesized um, uh, Russia against Poland, we still would have quite a few issues because, you know, the German-Russian relationship is is tricky in and of itself as well. Well, can we talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, there's a, um, I think, internationally, sometimes uh, that's characterized as Germany being a little bit too cozy to Russia, a little mm -hmm. too willing to forgive um and and Germany there therefore being sort of a roadblock to getting tough on Russia. Um, the flip side of that is that, and I think the way that German political leaders have often characterized it is, hey, this puts us in a position to be an interlocutor with yes. Russia. That's very important. That maintaining that dialogue. Um, can you can you kind of add a little bit of color or background to that relationship? And which one of those assessments is sort of closer to the mark? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they all matter, and this is this is the problem. So um, the first thing to note is that Germany does have important economic relationships with Russia, which just has to do with you know kind of geographical closeness um, uh, primarily, and it has extremely important energy ties to Russia. So the exact numbers are a bit difficult to to come by or to calculate, but somewhere between thirty and fifty fifty five percent of German gas comes from Russia, and that is a lot. So if mm -hmm you know, Russia decides not to export gas anymore, um, Germans freeze and German companies may not be able to produce. Um, and, and we have a very strong kind of industrial um, uh, economy that that needs energy and, and gas. So that would really, that would really hurt. So we definitely, you know, we can't discount this. And this does color the German-Russian relations and the, the willingness of some politicians to kind of... Uh, go 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 hard on on Russia that being said we have had so the European Union has imposed sanctions on Russia since 20, 2014 and the 
I want to say the first invasion of, of Ukraine and the annexation of Crimea. And Germany has always been supportive of the sanctions, even though they are among or the country that suffers the most from them. So so we have this kind of, you know, this this picture of, yes, there are important economic ties and they do matter and influence the relationship, but they don't mean that the Germans are unwilling to take strong positions because clearly they have been willing to forego uh, economic interests or economic profits here. So that's one element um, of the picture. The second element is that there are what we in Germany call uh, Putin-Versteher or Russia-Versteher, so kind of Putin-Understanders, Russia understanders, um, maybe sympathizers, it depends a little bit on how far you want to go. So so people that really do see, that, that they do seem to respect and, and yeah, maybe look up to is a bit tricky, but, but yeah, respect Putin and what he's been doing uh, in terms of building up Russian power. Um, and one problem is that you have these people, especially... I mean, in the extreme left, fine, but also in the Social Democratic Party, which is leading the current government, right? So we had a change in government between, you know, when Merkel stepped down, the the conservative Christian Democrats lost power, and now the new government is led by Social Democrats. And they are, you know, famous for having a whole group of people that that are quite close to to Russia um, uh, in in that sense. So that also makes it makes it difficult. Then you have the historical relationships. A ship, and here there are two elements that are important. One is guilt, and one is gratitude. So the guilt part again comes from World War II um, and and all the atrocities that that the Wehrmacht and Germany and the Nazis committed in the Soviet Union. Um, Ukrainians have been reminding us that you know a lot of this actually happened in Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union. But anyway, and so there's definitely this kind of guilt element of of the atrocities that were committed in the East, and um, and that there is yeah a historic um, historical, I don't know, responsibility uh, towards towards Russia to yeah be particularly careful um, here. But there's also an element of gratitude which comes from the end of the Cold War and how you know Germany was kind of allowed to reunify. How uh, there wasn't a, a war that ended that ended the Cold War. There wasn't a hot war that ended the Cold War. Uh, all of this and then how the, the DDR, the, the uh, East German um, Republic was, yeah, how there was a way to kind of solve all of this, um, all of this peacefully. So I think all of this really plays into German thinking. And then finally, um, and this is actually something that came up not too long ago, I was in this kind of German talk show with German politicians that kept saying, we have this kind of special link to Russia and these special channels of communication because of everything I just said. And we shouldn't endanger those by, again, being too aggressive, by uh, threatening too many things, etc. Um, I thought that this was really interesting because my immediate reaction and what I, what I also told them was to say, okay, well, if we have this special relationship, how about we use it? Because it doesn't quite feel as if as if we are. Like, if it is really true that all of these links that we have do lead us to have some kind of more impact or influence on Russia, then we really should be using it. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure that, that we are, that this, or that this government is. Why not? Is that because, you know, it's a new government and they're kind of finding their feet or is it with the, you know, are, is, is the government kind of waiting on, you know, Brussels or Washington or somebody else to kind of come in and say, hey, we could really use you to reach out to Russia on our behalf and, you know, and start this dialogue. 
Yeah, the, the new government element definitely matters. Um, so A, they are just new and, and do indeed need to find their, their feet. And foreign policy wasn't a big topic in the election campaign and it wasn't such a big topic in the kind of coalition agreements either. So it's not as if they had like completely hammered out their, their whole foreign policy yet. Also, it's a three-party government um, and they actually have some different views on, on foreign policy in general. And then again on Russia, because the SPD has these elements of Putin Verstehe. The Greens always hated Nord Stream 2 and were against Nord Stream 2. The, the FDP, the Liberals, they're very economic-minded. So you, you have... This is this is a really bad foreign policy crisis for this particular government um, because Russia is one of those issues where they where they already kind of tend to disagree um, yeah. even outside of a crisis. So so this isn't uh, this is uh, this is rather um, uh, tricky. So I think the new government element uh, really uh, really matters. And then I think the second reason, quite honestly, why the German government hasn't been more active is also that, quite honestly, this is a really tricky situation. Um, and Putin's demands are largely unacceptable for, you know, NATO, the US, Germany. Um, and you kind of wonder what you can offer him if you want to offer him something, if you want to keep that famous peace in absence of war, um, that, yeah, can make him back down. So... And, and and this is exactly the point that we're now seeing, just always saying, you know, we need to keep talking and we need to have channels of communication. This is all nice and well, but what do you do when you really have a clash of interests and one side wants one thing and the other side wants another thing? And yeah, how do you do this? So um, yeah, I think, I think Germany, yeah, maybe, I think they may be stepping up a little bit more. Now, <clears throat> there was, overall, they're quite happy to leave some of this to, for example, the US. We also should mentioned that Putin in particular was particularly keen on talking primarily to the US and, and Biden. So he also cut out Europe quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a mix of those elements. You mentioned kind of at the beginning, you talked about some of the, the media coverage, uh, especially the sort of opinion and commentary coverage of this specifically in the US media and and you said okay, but you know there's some context that needs to be understood. Um, regardless, the existence of 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 these pieces, the fact that they're being written, is indicative of a certain degree of tensions between mm -hmm. Germany and Washington. Uh, you know, within NATO, is that true? First of all, um, are are there tensions? And second of all, if so. Are they tensions that are being created by this current crisis, or are they tensions that always sort of existed, but this is this crisis is is sort of starting to reveal? Um, so I would say there definitely are tensions. What is interesting is that in Berlin they like to pretend that that isn't the case. I thought it was really striking. So Olaf Scholz, the new German Chancellor, who has been really quite invisible and absent um, in, in the beginning of this crisis and left a lot of the work to, to the foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock. Um, so he gave this important televised interview. And one of the very first questions from the moderator was indeed, you know, our allies seem to really worry about us and seem to not see as, as, a, as an important um, or reliable ally anymore. Like, what do you tell them? And his answer wasn't, you know, 
I, 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 I know about this, but I think it's, it's unwarranted and here's why, which is what I expected. He literally said, that's not the case. And even the moderator kind of interrupted him and said, mm. but our own, you know, ambassador in the US says, you know, we have an issue here. And, and he literally just said, you know, I, I don't think this is the case. Our allies know exactly what we're doing and what we're, um, how committed we are, etc. So, and I, and I heard this again um, from from other German politicians recently. So, um, so this is something that I thought was really really surprising because, as someone who, yeah, has been following the international press on this quite a lot, I definitely say that there are tensions and there are concerns. Again, they may not be a hundred percent justified. Um, I can understand some of them. Some of them are exaggerated. Some of them are, you know, opinion pieces. Fine, like that's, it's always a bit um, exaggerated in that regard. But I think there are tensions and there are concerns about German reliability that we really need to take seriously. Um, I do think that, I mean, it's both. It's 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 the the current crisis and it's a it's a larger issue. Um, if there hadn't been any concerns whatsoever before, the current crisis and the way that Germany has handled this wouldn't have caused such a such an issue. There clearly were underlying elements, um, and a lot of them had again to do with with Russia. Um, so, for example, we've been talking about the Nord Stream two pipeline for quite a long time, and this is this pipeline between you know Russia and and Germany that circumvents Ukraine, and that really seems to be the main um, the main goal of this. I almost want to say. Um, that that has caused uh, uh, problems, especially between the U.S. and Germany and then also between Eastern European neighbors and Germany for quite a long time. And I always felt that Germany had just maneuvered itself into such a, into such a corner uh, with Nord Stream 2 that there really weren't any good options left. And so we had the situation that um, the Biden administration, shortly before Merkel left power, they kind of brokered a deal that made it possible to somehow finish the pipeline because now it's really too late and it's pretty much already built and 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 but but this was already a, a problem and here Germany was already seen as you know not such a great partner to begin with and given that this deal was brokered now it really feels as if Germany isn't standing up to Russia this kind of yeah this this is really <laughs> Um, um, kind of made made this impression of German unreliability um, even stronger. A similar kind of point of context is the German defense spending, right? And the the fact that Germany hasn't been meeting the the goal, the NATO goal of two percent uh, GDP in defense spending, and isn't really going to anytime soon. If I look at at the current calculations, um, so that's also something where a lot of allies say, you know, this isn't this isn't great, and it kind of shows that you aren't really committed. And so we we had. I'm, I'm basically saying that there was that there was this kind of mute music, which wasn't great to begin with, um, and then you had a crisis with Russia again, tricky partner for Germany, and the German government seemed to not step up. We had a cacophony of kind of uh, unclear statements coming out of Berlin, including from the opposition that really wasn't helpful. And so all of this came together and and kind of created this, this not so great um, situation, uh, which, yeah, I think is, is, is really unfortunate. Um, in a way, I, I want to say, if you thought Germany was a reliable ally, you know, half a month ago, then there's really no reason why you you would have changed your mind today. Like I don't think there's anything that they've done 
uh, that it warrants that. But if you were already worried about German reliability and, and German as an ally, you know, a month ago, uh, then a lot of what we've been seeing right now has kind of contributed to to uh, these concerns even more. I want to kind of circle back to how criticism is being received in Germany. I know that you mentioned that in some cases, at least, there's almost a denial that that criticism exists. Um, but to the extent that it is acknowledged, is it perceived as unfair or maybe that that expectations on Germany in this case are unreasonable? Um, and I guess kind of related to that, to what extent is the Ukraine crisis seen as something that, you know, because Ukraine isn't a NATO member, Germany should somehow expect to have a greater degree of freedom to manage its foreign policy independent of NATO uh, with respect to Ukraine? Or or is it understood as a NATO issue? Mm. Um, right. Okay. So there's a lot, of, a lot of things to unpack here. So is the U.S. criticism unfair or is it perceived as such? I'd say kind of yes to both with a little bit of caveat. So um, it is perceived as unfair. Um, I guess an immediate reaction would be, <laughs> you know, you just had Donald Trump. Like, what are you criticizing us for uh, with anything? Um, and and also, you know, why some people may say, like, why should we follow this kind of very militaristic uh, U.S. Uh, thinking and, and, and all of this? So I think, yes, it is partly uh, seen as, as unfair. I think it also is partly unfair again i'm not kind of dismissing the concerns but um i it germany um germany is not exporting arms to ukraine we've established this but they are doing lots of other things they are the most important financial uh, supporter of ukraine um in in absolute numbers uh, we've, we've talked about the helmets, we've talked about, I think, the, the field hospital. Uh, so, so there are lots of things that Germany is doing. So this is why I also think partly it's a communication issue where I kind of feel that you could have a rather strong and coherent German foreign policy um, even without arms exports and kind of, you know, say, okay, we're not going to do this, but we're doing all of these other things and, and therefore are definitely standing behind uh, Ukraine. So in that regard, it's a little bit um, unfair, although, again, I understand also where it comes from. Um, I do disagree a little bit with this idea of um, this not being a NATO issue. And I mean, of course, Germany is completely free to to design its foreign policy and do whatever it's, it wants. But the current situation and the current discussions with Vladimir Putin are very much about the European security order, the European security architecture, and very much about NATO and the role of NATO in Europe. And so I think it is crucially important that NATO speaks with one voice and kind of very much, for example, defends the open door policy that NATO has, um, defends the, the uh, yeah, NATO's right to, um, to move around its, its, its troops in its own uh, member states, things like that. And I think on that, we really do need a common NATO position. Um, I don't think we need a completely aligned NATO policy answer. What I mean by that is that we have 30 member, member states and um, indeed, some of them have different relationships to Russia. And I think we can use this to some extent. So I think it's fine if, if the UK, for example, takes a very strong view because they already had their issues with Russia 
well before this. And if, for example, Germany does use these famous means of communication to talk to Putin, I think that can actually be helpful. And and NATO is, you know, unified in diversity or whatever the, the motto is. Um, and, and I think this this can be helpful. But but still, I, I do believe that this is a NATO challenge and it should be addressed as one. Um, and so that's important. And that's why the allies uh, really count. Just a final point on um, a lot of the other allies and NATO members don't care. And I think you're absolutely right in pointing out the majority of NATO countries aren't exporting weapons to uh, Ukraine and no one is saying anything. And partly this is because a lot of NATO countries are just really tiny and no one really cares. But it is it is quite interesting, right? Like everyone is jumping on Germany. Why aren't you doing this? And meanwhile, some, I think, 20 other countries aren't aren't uh, doing this this either. So we continue to have the problem within NATO that we don't care about the same things to the same degree, which, by the way, is also an ongoing problem within the European Union. So, yes, of course, the Eastern Europeans care a lot about what Germany is doing. And we've been talking a lot about U.S. headlines and U.S. criticism. But, you know, again, we had the, the Latvian defense minister who basically called German foreign policy towards Ukraine um, immoral and hypocritical. And and so it's the, the Baltic countries are really rather pissed um, and, and definitely are paying attention. But sure, Portugal um, is is and, and Italy and, and others aren't 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 that interested. Um, and and this is something that NATO needs to deal with and kind of keep the the alliance um, uh, together. And um, yeah, so I think this is this is this is a challenge that we um, that we just that we just face and um, and need to deal with. So it's yeah, there are different levels of. Um, of concern, basically. Ulrika, thank you very much for uh, joining me. I think we'll kind of wrap it up there. I do want to give um, uh, a shout out to a podcast that you host. Uh, we have the the bulk of our listeners are American, but I just looked at the stats before the before we started recording, and it's only about sixty percent. Forty percent are from uh, are from the, of our listeners are from outside of the United States. The largest non English speaking contingent of those are Germans. So if we have any German listeners that want to uh, hear more exceptional analysis of, of topics like these and, and a range of others, can you, can you just because I would butcher the name in German if I said it, can you, uh, can you tell us the name of your podcast? <laughs> I can. That's very kind of you. Yeah, we have a podcast that's called Sicherheitshalber, which I guess into English translates uh, like something of for security's sake. It's a bit of a... Uh, um, uh, play with with words and uh, yeah we discuss kind of German and international security and defense policy uh, quite regularly which is great fun and very interesting I hope and so um, if you do speak German um, and don't know it yet it would be brilliant if you could give it a listen yeah for any German speaking listeners or uh, listeners who are just looking for a new project and they want to learn German so that they can listen to your podcast <laughs> through security and defense policy that would be very much on brand for I guess the people <laughs> listening to this podcast yes <laughs> Ulrika, thank you again very much. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the MWI podcast. One last thing. If you aren't yet following MWI on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It is a great way to stay up to date on all of the new articles, podcast episodes, and research we're publishing every day. Thanks again. Thanks again.